Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Scott. I'm Shatay, and we're the Hazes. Welcome to the Love Haze Podcast, where we talk about those unspoken hard parts of life. We love to process out loud what most people experience in silence. That's right. This podcast is for people like us who want to disrupt those mindsets and cycles and behaviors that no longer serve you so that you can heal your relationship with yourself, y'all. Go on to lead healthier, freer, more fulfilling Mm -hmm. lives. Listen, here's another one of those dope black podcast that we've been on in the last few months mm-hmm. uh we're just sharing a conversation with don lamore mm-hmm. about uh the message that we received as kids uh that may have kept us stuck uh how we learned our communication styles and a number of the other unspoken hazes of life yep uh welcome back to our black love journey let's get right into this thing let's go let go y'all so, Dom Moore, Black Man Talking Emotions. Actually, yeah. the Black Man Talking yeah. Emotions podcast. Say all the words. Yes. Such a fan of his. And mm-hmm. he's an artist, a multi-hyphenate artist. I think he's like the lead singer in a band. And mm-hmm. he writes music. And like you can just tell, like even having conversation, if you just listen to this episode, y'all, his voice is so soothing. <laughs> you is. know what I mean? So it's like a real live DJ conversation. Like he had us up mm-hmm. in his like radio studio or something. But what I appreciate about this conversation so much is the transparency. And I think that's saying a lot because we yeah. tend to get pretty transparent in general in most conversations. Mm-hmm. That's just who we are. But he like met us there. Mm-hmm. It was like matched. And not in a like, we're just sharing a bunch of information just to be sharing and like telling our business. It was like a real honest, like, let's get to the root of this thing. And I love that we talked about like where we learned, you know, some of the stuck places Mm -hmm. that, you know, were intentional, unintentional rather. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think one of my favorite uh, things about just the way the conversation came together is even though we talked about a number of things, it was really around like, What's the origin story? Yeah. Uh, we've talked in previous episodes about what could have been my villain origin mm-hmm. story, but was really the origin story for where I started my healing. Yeah. What was the thing that made me realize that I needed to do some healing work around yeah. what I had learned, what I had heard, what I had been brought up believing, all of those things. So much of the conversation was around like, what was my healing origin story? Yeah. What is the thing that, that helped me to realize that I had some work to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, whether it was like about like, I don't like that. Like somebody told me this thing and it's supposed to be this way, whether we were talking about sex or, mm-hmm. you know, how we talk to kids about um, what, what they want to be when they grow up, mm-hmm. any of those things. It was just like so much that we wish that we had learned differently earlier in life. Yeah. And it helped us realize, like, I don't want to continue doing the same thing yeah. to kids in my life or kids that we're going to have any of those things. So it was so much of like about like our healing origin story. I really yeah. enjoyed that. And you know, it's a good, a mark of a good conversation is that even in the midst of the conversation, he's asking us something. I was having my own ahas in mm-hmm. the midst of the conversation. Like, absolutely. Oh, I think that's why I think this. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's why I show up this way. And I was like, absolutely having revelations. Yeah unpacking things in the, mm-hmm. in the midst of that conversation. So that's, that was, that was some good stuff for me. Yeah. Great conversations are always just kind of like they, they find their own way. Yeah. Uh, we came in with one in 10 and I think, you know, we just had some general ideas about what we wanted to talk about, but the conversations just kind of like took its, 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it grew its own legs and like went where it was supposed to go. Exactly. It did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. But uh, very healing conversation. Very uh, informative. Uh, very cathartic. Yeah. I think for for both of us. And uh, we can't wait for y'all to hear it, man. It's just a great conversation. Check it out. I'm a fan of the podcast. Thank you. I really enjoy the content just for the audience. You have episodes that touch on navigating the transition into adulthood. You have explanations on what family actually means. Relationship talk, of course. You have self-care. You have black love. That's a big thing about the podcast, of course. You even have an episode about y'all visiting Desta, Florida, and different things y'all liked about it and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. I just, I think it's so cool to have this place where, you know, you can go to listen, hear somebody that you relate to and be like, oh, okay. And then they like Desta, okay, we should put that on our list. Like, I can see how someone listening to the podcast can be influenced by the podcast. With all of that, I enjoy your bond most. And I think that's what really sets it apart for me because getting to hear a couple talk honestly, freely, and literally you learning things about each other as you talk is really cool to be yeah. a, a listener of. I enjoy that aspect of it. I love talking to my wife as well to make sure we're on the same page. Hearing another couple do it just makes me feel good about the world because you can see so much stuff that is not like that. Absolutely. And that's popular, that's getting all the shine and people are raving about it. I want to be just as, as crazy as joker and harley quinn for some reason that's our goals in the relationship and it's like you have people like you who are actually communicating talking about your future talking about the things that you went working on things that you're pushing for that's the stuff we should be promoting but you don't get to see that in the movies yeah for me i want to start with shate where does the open conversation and sharing your feelings and healthy communication where did that start for you and where did it come from Wow, Dominique, that was such such a beautiful compliment. First of all, thank you so <laughs> no much. Problem, like, no so, yeah. I don't. I think I've heard versions of that, but I've never heard anyone really say like they enjoy our bond the most. And I maybe sensed that before, but to like hear that language used, I really, really like truly appreciate it. I would say where it starts for me, these are actually conversations we were having with one another before we even had a podcast. This is how we talk to each other. This is by far the safest space I've been in relationship-wise where I can be fully authentically my full self, my full, full self sometimes, just a mess, reckless, ready to jump (laughs) off ledges. You know what I mean? And Scott is just so patient and reels me back in or sometimes jump on the ledge with me and he like, we out here. You know, like just... yeah. It is such a safe space for me to grow and and process life and become who I'm becoming. And I hope he feels the same way. But essentially, like, we were just always talking like this. I don't even know how we came about talking like this. If I had to think about the inception of it, when we were dating, I remember having a conversation with him, like, you know, before we get, you know, really, really go somewhere, I felt like I was saying something like I'm not traditional. So I kind of interrogate religion but I'm very yeah. spiritual. Yeah. I'm not really cookie cutter. I have a perspective about the world. If that works for you, you know, bet. but if not, yeah. And he was just kind of <laughs> like, oh, yeah, 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 me too. You know, so and then I think that was kind of like the beginning of how we began having conversations about 
unlearning things and how we want to show up in the world and you know even before that though like for you in general did you grow up in a household where the communication was on point or did you have friends that you were communicating with like how did you get to a place where you were like this is how I want to do it in my relationship absolutely not for because we can't see y'all was not in my head no the whole time no <laughs> absolutely not it was and my goodness you know it's it really tricky for me or uncomfortable a little bit sometimes to talk about how I'm deciding to show up in the world is still very different than the way that I was raised because I don't want it to come off as an insult or anything negative to my yeah. family of origin because my goodness, I love them dearly and my parents did the best that they could with who they were and what they knew. We just have a certain amount of privilege. We talk about this often where our parents, my parents, we're trying to survive. You know, they were younger, they didn't have much money, yeah. just trying to like really figure out life and literally trying to survive. So they did not have the privilege, the space to think about how they want to show up in the world and, oh, I want to unlearn this and I want to be healthier and healed. And here I am, all my needs met, now saying, actually, I think differently. And I, I think for me, what changed was, I think somewhere around like late 20s, early 30s, I was just feeling like, the way that I was thinking and experiencing the world just wasn't serving me. I don't have the right language for it, but it just felt like there was more to life, that it could be better, it could be different. And that I started to also learn a lot about how your mindset really shapes your life. I remember being introduced to The Secret and I'm an avid reader. So I was just reading a ton of books about, you know, thought and people call it like new age stuff. But it really, yeah. there was so much of it that was just like, yes, like it makes sense. And I actually see that this has actually happened. What yeah. I think about actually has become part of my life. You know, so it kind of started there for me. And then I've just allowed it to sort of, you know, blossom. I love the way that you put it with the we have privileges. Because I sit down, sometimes I'm looking in my office right now or I'm upstairs with my wife or I'm doing whatever around my house. And I'm just like, you know, when my mama was my age, she had already had four kids. Mm. She had already put herself in a position where she was you know, working her butt off and this and that. And I'm sitting here with a dog talking about, man, I don't want to throw no <laughs> balls. I don't want to do nothing. I'm, but all I got is a dog, you know, just sitting at the house, you know. You're moving, yeah. you're working, you're doing this, and you ain't got to worry about that. You're going to work towards that eventually. We're going to start trying to have kids soon. But it's like you put yourself in a position where you get to really live and chill, and that's a privilege that my great-grandparents, my grandmother, my parents, right. they didn't get do that right well my great-grandparents was like i'm i'm 19 i'm 20 we get married we're gonna have six kids we're gonna do it right. and that was that there was no yeah. traveling there was no seeing anything there was no communication period and i really enjoy that to hear that perspective and, and going to you scott same question like where did that start for you did you see it at a young age did you do what she did in a sense not see what she wanted so she created what she wanted within her relationship my story is different from yeah. Chate's in that I very much modeled the behavior that I saw in my household, but in a bad way. Okay. So my parents were not communicators. My dad raised me to be a man who protected, provided, pronounced all those things. I learned to squash my voice, not be a complainer, and just do what was asked of me, yeah. do what was expected, to be a good student, to not ask questions, to do everything that I was expected to do. And when I got into my first marriage, that's the attitude that I took into it. I needed to protect, provide, 
not worry about my own needs, die to those things. And that made me a great husband. What I learned along the way was that there were things that I needed in relationship. And when I didn't get those things, I began to resent my partner. But what I had been taught was you don't raise no hell at home. Mm. Home is a safe space. It is the space that you provide for your partner, for your family. And you don't bring those concerns there. Like you, you fucking figure it out. I went about the life of doing that, but also resenting the person that I was in relationship with and eventually acting out, like being in other women's DMs, that types of thing. Kept the peace at home, but this was the way that I supplemented. And so that ended in divorce because when I finally went to therapy, showed up and said, actually, this is cyclical, right? When I don't get what I need, I resent you. I tell you what I need. You say, no, I don't want to do that because I'm used to this version of you. Yeah. And then I I do this other thing to supplement so we don't fight at home because fighting at home ain't it. I'm a social worker by trade, clinical social worker. So I deal with people's trauma and their bullshit all day. So at minimum, I wanted peace at home. Mm-hmm. So I did not bring any arguments home, but I acted out over here. I thought as long as I kept my penis to myself, then it was okay. You weren't doing right. anything wrong. Yeah. Right. I thought I wasn't doing anything wrong, but the emotional pain that I inflicted was, hell, I can't even imagine what it would have been had I actually, you know, done a physical act. But it was basically the same, if not more, for the person I was in relationship with. But the thing about it was I never learned to honor what it was that I needed in relationship from being a good son, being the the only boy in the household. I was constantly taught, you don't honor what it is that you need. Mm-hmm. I had an older sister and they were saying, you know, well, your time is coming. You know, let's take care of her senior stuff and get her a car and all this kind of stuff. And then we'll get you one. Then I had a younger sister behind me. So by the time my older sister left, they were like, all right, we got to take care of your younger sister. You need to get a job, figure it out. That's what mm-hmm. boys do. That's what men do. So it was just this constant, like learning to put myself on the back burner and never a reason to put myself first. Dad did the same thing with my mom, even though she was a higher earner. He just believed that he should not complain that he should not bring any of those issues into his household, that his family needed to look good, needed to go to church, needed to do all those things. But my dad was an alcoholic and we just had different vices. I like women, mm. you know what I'm saying? And my yeah. dad, he binge drink. Mm. So from the time he got off on Friday until he went to work on Monday, he was drunk, mm. toe up. And so the version of me that Shate met was this version of me that, had discovered that I needed to have conversations up front about what it is that I wanted and needed in relationship, that I wanted to be a person who processed through issues. So she made a very good version mm-hmm. of me, one that even I didn't know that I needed at the time when I initially got married, because I thought that I was in a damn good marriage. Yeah. Even though I was miserable, I thought it, it looked good. Mm. And people would put shit on our pictures and stuff, like couple goals and that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, as, exactly. long as, as long as that was the groove, I could be miserable. You know, but it looked good to other people. And I was doing a good job as a husband. People wanted a husband like me, you know, and I showed up in my college friendships in the same way. Let me do for you. Let me not need anything. Mm-hmm. And people just view me as their best friend. 15, 20 people thought I was their best friend in college. And I don't have a damn person that I consider my best friend, maybe one person. And I learned to show up in life in every area like that. So, you know, this healed and whole version of myself that Shatay meant, very, very different. She is my person, 
because she came in my life at a point to where I was able to communicate what it is that I needed and wanted in relationship and also what it is that I wanted to provide in relationship and understanding that we both going to be growing as Mm -hmm. people. And so like real partnership, mature partnership is being able to question like the fact that what I needed in 2000 ain't what I need in 2023. Mm -hmm. And we're having conversations around like, well, how can I support that and still coexist in this space with you as your partner? And that was never a place for me. I just cycle people in and out. The first wife was like, I don't want to do that because you paying for everything over here is working for me. So I don't want to be your partner. Mm-hmm. I want to be your wife. I want to be taken care of. Yeah. And I was just wasn't in that space anymore. One thing that I took away from the communication and the different things that were happening in my household coming up, because I grew up with my great grandparents at first. I lived with them. And then I moved in with my mother. And my mother and my father, Big John, they have a fantastic relationship. My mother's a little mean to Big John from time to time, but they do talk <laughs> and I hear them and I see them talk and I see them express the things that they're feeling. In my grandparents' house, it wasn't like that. My great-grandfather was very old school. My great-grandmother was the same way. She knew she had made a mistake by not setting boundaries early, but she met him in the 50s, 50s, yeah. 60s, 70s. There much she can do, but just she put herself in a position she knew she couldn't change. So she just kind of made life good and encouraged everyone afterwards. My mother was a huge student to her in the sense that she would look at her and be like, don't treat anybody the way I treat your grandfather. Don't spoil them. Don't do this. You speak up. Don't be like me. So she was very wise and understood exactly the situation and realized she just was in a position where she just had to love him the way that she had been loving him and love him for who he was. And she understood it wasn't, it wasn't him just being a horrible person to her or whatever. It was the way that they originally were raised, the things right. that they went through and how they got to it. So Absolutely. for me, I saw all of that. And the one thing that I feel like I had to learn on my own, I had to fail in different relationships with and mess up. And I think you can relate was I don't think I was properly told anything that I could speak about. And what I mean by that is I didn't realize, you know, before I got married to Adrian, I didn't know it was normal to talk about getting married to the person you want to get married to, you know, and that's something so small, but it's, it's the truth. Like, I didn't know it was like, I I didn't know I was supposed to be like, Hey, I'm going to ask you to marry me. What, what's your ring size? I I do want to marry you eventually. I think we should get married. Like, yeah. No, I did. I, I would see movies. I would see people, and it almost seemed surprise. like it was a surprise. <laughs> right. Every no. time they proposed, it was a surprise, and then she walks out, and I'm like, oh, because since it's a surprise and since you can't talk about it, it sometimes they just walk out. It makes sense. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, I could actually talk about this? This is something I could bring up and actually have an open discussion about, not be ashamed of, and it's not going to be looked at wrong. And I, it was things like that where it's like, well, what else can I talk about? Mm-hmm. What else can I truly speak about? And then I got more and more into that. Before I got into the relationship I'm in now, I experimented with, how about just being honest with people in general? Mm. <laughs> True. That's good. Because I grew up in a house where I had a lot of siblings who weren't like my siblings. They're like my uncles and my cousins, but they were my age kind of because we were all so young. Mm -hmm. So my uncles would be like, you need to get you a side chick, get you a main chick, get you this, Mm -hmm. this, this, and that. 
And I'm up here listening to it like an idiot, thinking he's right, <laughs> not realizing he's 17 years old, don't know what he's talking about. In mm-hmm. my head, though, I'm, you know, 10, so I'm looking at him like he's an adult, but he's really a kid just like me. And I didn't know because everyone above me, everyone around me seemed like they were older than me. So I was like, I'm just a kid, and they, they call an OG check for seats in the car. And I'm just like, well, I guess OG means he's an adult, you know? And they're just kids who are getting OG checked by other people. I got to a point where I remember the first time I had asked a girl to just hang out and we weren't going to be serious. We were just going to hook up and we can do all that stuff, but I don't want anything serious. And I remember that conversation just being a normal conversation and her being so open to it and, and thanking me afterwards. Like, thank you for like, just being honest. And I remember walking home that night, be like, she she was cool with that. <laughs> Not understanding that people are people and you should talk about any and everything with the people yeah. that you want to be around. And I feel like that's where it developed for me. And also, like you said, with books, The Five Love Languages by Gary yeah. Chapman mm-hmm. was huge for me because I read it before I was in a relationship. And so I started applying it to life. Nice. And instead of looking at it as just love languages, hey, this is how people communicate. Yeah. And you notice, you know, Becky, I, I use this example all the time. Some lady comes into the office and brings cookies all the time. And then you wonder why she's sad. It's because nobody giving her cookies and her love language is giving <laughs> gifts. She wants yeah. a gift and you ain't <laughs> giving it to her. And so she's sad. And we like, why Becky's sad over there? It's because ain't nobody giving her nothing, but she's always giving you cookies. And you up here talking about how good these damn cookies are. So... I agree, and I love to hear those stories and understand it because I feel like that's crucial to hear. I feel like a lot of people wake up every day with people who have unhealthy habits, Mm -hmm. and they rub off on them, and they go into the other world, and they start talking to people, and people are looking at them like, you really think that's okay? And they're like, what? What?" And it's like, no, no, no. You got to hear the good and the bad so you can know where people's heads is. Like, Mm -hmm. why why do you think this? Oh, because okay, because this person in your life did this, and instead of interpreting it this way, you did it this way. So now you're struggling with that kind of communication. It's crucial. It's crucial in any scenario, with any relationship, work, love, anything. It's crucial to have good communication. You know, I was just thinking about one of the things that you that you just mentioned, especially with the example of the lady who brings the cookies to the office, right? Yeah. I was kind of that person, right? I would be the person who brings all this stuff and just thinking in my mind that somehow by osmosis, mm-hmm. people will understand that that's what I want in return. Yes. And that's just not the way human behavior works. People see that and they, you are the cookie lady. <laughs> you are the person who enjoys doing this. Yeah. Like, so for so much of my, and I had to go back and really do some dissecting because my relationships in college, my first marriage, all of those things, I thought they were going to be my villain origin story. Like, <laughs> this is why I'd be running through these hoes because nobody ever, but it is really like thinking about the part that you play in breaking your own heart the things that you did, right? And my the part that I played was that I was just like this overgiver, this, this overlover all the time, overlistener, just whatever your problems are, bring them here. I'm a social worker. Back that dump truck on up and I got you. And what I found was like people begin to view me as that person. Like I got Scott on speed dial. He my best friend. I'm going to call him and I'm going to dump all my problems on him. And I'm going to take all of my joy and I'm going to go over here and I'm going to give it to these people. And then where there's a problem, I'm going to my problem guy. Right. And I was over there just like starving for somebody to give me 
and be for me what I was being for other people. And I never had those conversations, though. I just thought people understood, like, he's doing this. He needs this. Right. And it was very irresponsible of me to believe that people just absorb. But human behavior says, you like doing that? Okay, this is a space that I can put you in my life where you're able to do that. And then I'll go and have fun with these other folk. And I don't think you want to be a part of that because I've never seen that part of you. So it is our responsibility to tell people what it is that we need to be in relationship. I would challenge, though, you saying you played a part in breaking your own heart because you didn't have the awareness of it. Now, it'd be one thing to have the awareness of this is what I clearly need. And I'm allowing people to do this to me. And I'm just suck it up because eventually somebody's going to come around. I think that is playing a part in breaking your own heart, but not knowing and just operating with who you mm-hmm. were at the time and that understanding. How could you, you know, like, how could you, you just didn't have the awareness. I just yeah. don't know that you had any parts of breaking your own heart in that way. But when he said that, I heard it and I understood that because even though he might not be aware of it, it still could have contributed to it. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? So it's one of those moments where, okay, I got to make sure I don't do that again because that also hurt me, including Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. was done to me on the other side. And I I think that's fascinating because how often do you really sit down and consider what you've done in certain scenarios that could affect you negatively? Mm -hmm. And in this situation, like you said, just being ignorant to certain things that were going on may have caused you to make a mistake that hurt yourself. And that's important to make sure you're aware and understanding and learning and continuing to learn and doubling back and doubling down on the things that you learn to confirm that you're going to put yourself in the right position for the future. These are the types of conversations that we have. You know, she challenges and I'm just like, it's not that I'm looking for anybody to take total responsibility. I'm talking about the part that I play in breaking my own heart. Mm. And so, mm. and even when I show up in these ways that are informed and therapy and by healing and all those other things, I still have to understand that human beings have the opportunity to, to opt out. They can say, hey, I don't want to do that. And it can still break your heart, but it won't ever be for me again that I played this role in breaking my own heart by not telling them what I needed. It will always be that I showed up in the space. I said what it is that I needed. And I understood it as a human being. You have the opportunity to be like, I don't want to do that. And if you don't want to do it, that's cool. That can still be heartbreaking for me. But it won't be that I played the same role in the heartbreak itself by not talking, by not using my words. So I would love to hear, uh, Shatay, in your words, like what is the mission of your podcast and why you got it started? We say that we have conversations about the unspoken hard parts of life. We want to normalize those unspoken hard parts so that people know they're not alone. So I would say it's sort of like a love letter to our younger self. So even in the example that Scott was just given, he's like, I played a part in that, but that's this version of Scott looking back at that version of Scott, right? So we can, we get all of this awareness and, you know, therapeutic practice. And then we're like, oh, why didn't my younger self show up that way when they just didn't really know how to? And so, so in a way, a letter to our younger selves, like, this is what I wish I had known so that whoever's coming up behind us or around us or with us even can say, okay, I'm having this experience. I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm not a failure. This is normal. People go through it every day, B, you know, and I have what I need to get through it. So it's it's all the unspoken hazes of, mm-hmm. of life and how to how to just navigate through them with like who you are at the time. Yeah, very much the same for me, just in that, um, you know, when I was navigating divorce, 
I did not know that my parents had considered divorce multiple times. I did not know that they had issues, you know, around my dad's alcoholism and that my mom was thinking about leaving him and had a whole exit plan because most of the time adults don't talk to children about what it is that they have going on in their lives. And so I thought my parents had this perfect marriage and here I was trying to model what they were doing. And I was just fucking it up tremendously. Yeah. But then also I found the same thing with my friends. When I started telling my friends, my boys that I was separated and, you know, I was living in my downstairs bedroom and, you know, they were like, oh yeah, I almost left my wife two years ago. I was like, why is nobody talking about this? Like, I feel crazy. I went to school with you Negroes. We've been (laughs) friends for 20 years, but everybody had pretty much the same consensus. Like, man, we're supposed to keep our business in house. We're not supposed to talk about the bad things. And what we do on social media is a highlight reel, right? We don't talk about any of the problems, the disagreements, like fights over budgets, like, you know, fertility difficulties. We have none of those conversations. Just the success that you see is the success that we have. We don't have any of these conversations. So more than anything for me, the podcast was about making sure that what I needed at the time was available for the person that comes after me, like building bridges so that people don't have to feel like they're alone in this thing. And that's exactly what I felt when I started trying to navigate, you know, divorce and separation and dissolution of relationships the communication with kids. And I don't think this is just like an African-American world either. I think this is everywhere because, you know, I have three goddaughters and I was noticing like when I was talking to them, when they came to visit us recently, I was talking to them like little people, you know, like you're, you're just a person. I'm not going to be like, Ooh, baby, bit. no, I don't do all that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like that with anything. My, my dog, I talk to him like he's a gentleman. <laughs> his, his name is his name is Alfred. When I need him to come with me, I'm like, dude, let's go. And he's like, okay, so we go. Like he understands my communication with him. And it's always very much I'm talking directly to him. I'm like, ooh, doggy dog. I don't do any of that. I'm like, all right, mm-hmm. Alfred, you ready? And he's like, mm. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go and do this. And with my goddaughter, Eliza specifically, I'll talk about her because she's such a, a smart girl and she has a lot of ambition for an eight-year-old. <laughs> you know, I'm talking like she's looking, with, in my head, I see this, this person that's going to yeah. flower into this contributor to society. And mm-hmm. we were outside, I was getting some stuff laid, some mulch together for the front yard when they were here before we did a big Juneteenth barbecue. And so I was we're talking to her directly and she was just kind of talking about the things she want to do when she grows up. And I was like, so what do you want to be? She was like, I want to be a scientist. I was like, oh, that's dope. Okay. I've never heard anyone say that. Why do you want to be a scientist? Well, I want to, I want to find the cure to cancer. And wow. I'm looking at this eight year old, like what? But yeah. you know, if mm-hmm. you talk to them like they're a kid and you talk to them like, Oh, so you want to, you know, get some water balloons, little kiddo, and be a kid, <laughs> and and you don't get to learn these little moments. How do you how do you water that plant so that it can blossom? How how yeah. do you know truly what they want if you're not talking to them about their future and understanding where their head is? Maybe she might not think that in ten two years. That that's how kids work. I know that, but also hearing it, encouraging, and reminding it will help her get to a place where she's like, no, actually, this is what I want. Yeah. And 
I looked at those conversations and how we communicate and the things that I'm excited for and how I talk to her from here on out, things that I keep bringing up when I FaceTime them. And I just see that that was stuff that didn't happen for me. I did not have those moments where Mm -hmm. I'm talking directly to the adults in the room and they're 100 with me. There's stuff going on that I'm completely seeing and they're not talking about it. And so I'm confused on what's going on because I'm like, why isn't anyone telling me what's happening? I feel like something's wrong, but everyone's saying everything's okay. And then the worst thing, because you have the adults who are conscious and soft with the kids. So they'll look at you and be like, no, everything's fine. Go in there. But then you have the other adults. I'm not going to say who in my family, but there's some adults in my family. This grown folks business, get up out of here. Instead of just like, you know, even not even flowering it for me, just be like, get up out of here. You ain't supposed to be in this. This is where the grownups are. You stay downstairs with the kids or you sit at that table and you don't be listening to grown folks business. And those two approaches to it are very different and have different effects, but they do the same thing. They keep the kid out of the loop so that when they're older, and it's time to hear about sex. You don't know how to talk to the kid because you never talk to the kid about anything like that. When it's time to talk to them about what they should expect from people that they're in a relationship with, you're talking to them as if they already should know. Yeah. You shouldn't be letting nobody treat you like this. You shouldn't be letting nobody do it. How would she know or how would he know if you aren't even going to tell me what's going on yeah. in your relationship? This yeah. is the first time we're ever discussing this when it's too late, you know? Yeah, yeah. I firmly believe when I have kids, that's kind of the first thing that my head goes to where I want to start, what I want to kind of push into their mental and and how I portray myself around them. I really think that's crucial because I see the effects. I see how it's damaged me, how it hurt me. And I still discuss it with my wife to this day on how that affected me. And I don't want that to affect anything in my life ever again. Do y'all have moments like that as well that you can remember that that truly kind of mess with your psyche? I'll start with, with Scott on this. I, I think some of those conversations, much like you were talking about, like where I entered a room with adults and they were talking about things and I was immediately dismissed, mm. right? And it makes me think about the way that I've been able to process through that is there's a room full of adults who really didn't know how to navigate their own stuff. You hear about somebody like acting out in that room full of adults, somebody yelling, screaming. There's a room full of people who ain't know what to do with their emotions, right? So they dismiss the kids because they didn't want the kids to see them not know how to deal with their emotions. Yeah. Right? So you can't teach what you don't know yourself. So the best thing that most adults that I that I know have been around is they learn how to hide, right? My, my family of origin isn't as close now because people have mastered just hiding keeping stuff within their own homes. My mom's brothers and sisters and stuff, we don't get together like we used to because now everybody keeps their stuff in-house. And it's almost like dismissing the rest of the family from the conversation that we don't know how to handle. And so what you are doing with like your goddaughters is like being the person that they can come and bring anything to, right? You're setting the foundation for being able to have open conversation here in this space. I was on a mental health podcast recently and I was talking about the childhood game of freeze your it. Right. And being able to say, okay, tag, 
It's time for me to go out and run from you. And all I got to do is make it back to home base. What you're establishing is yourself as home base for your goddaughter, right? No matter what is going on, no matter what you have to duck and dodge in the rest of the world, you can come here and have a conversation that you may not be able to have anywhere else. You're establishing a safe space, establishing a home base, a place where, you know, your goddaughter may feel comfortable in coming to talk to you, where she may be dismissed from other rooms when she has questions, when she is uncertain about things, that type of thing. That's the kind of culture that we want to create, you know, for our children, for our godchildren, for the people that we're actively in relationship now, that this is a space where you can come and you can have those conversations and not be dismissed from it. This is not some, somewhere you can come and you got to hide because when children see that, they teach that, right? You got to hide, then I can't wait till I'm old enough to call OG on it, like you said before, <laughs> and be like, hey, just move. Just move out of the space, right? So you ain't got to be a part of this. I'm just older than you. You do what I say, right? With no understanding about why. And the kids that are coming along now, man, they're, they're very much intelligent, right? Very much in different spaces than we were when we were coming up. And we just, we didn't question you know, we just did as we were told a lot. And we had questions maybe in the room with the kids, like, we ain't talking about nothing in there. Yeah. You know, but we, I think, are doing a better job with the children that are around us and not doing that baby talk kind of stuff and really, like, probing and asking questions about what kids want, what they need, that type of thing. And I think we have to with the way that, you know, things are moving for kids now with the, the different things that they're facing now. We have to be that kind of safe space and home base for kids to have those conversations because if we don't, we'll end up like doing it like we've had to do it, like being in our 30s and 40s and going to therapy trying to figure out, you know, the origin story behind how we show up the way that we show up and mm-hmm. why we don't and why we hide and all that kind of stuff. That was good. I'm over here thinking about I was trying to think hard too. Like, what's my <laughs> what's my example? Two came up for me, and I just want y'all to know I have had a whole breakthrough session in my own head about some old stuff <laughs> while we're talking about <laughs> while we're talking about all of this. I'll tell you both things that came up. One is a little little off topic, but I had the very first thought that that came to mind was like, gosh, what what are any sort of stuck places from my childhood? The first thing that usually comes up to mind for me is the feeling of being othered outside of my family of origin, outside of the like my parents and my brother. So my dad who raised me is not my biological father, but he's my he's my father. Mm-hmm. And his family though, when I was younger, was very much like his one sister who was just just always had drama, always caused drama, told her kids I was adopted and just there's this always a sense of like you don't belong here. I was never really sat down and talked about, I just remember, I guess, to sum up experiences of adults showing up from their own traumas, their own stuck places, and like not really understanding that. So the breakthrough that I had as I was thinking through that, I was like, well, that probably has a lot to do with what mm-hmm. I think about family and our own family. So we'll have mm-hmm. to talk about that later. <laughs> <And> then <laughs> the second thing is, probably the the thing that's probably more on topic is the birds and bees conversation that my, my parents had with me. So when I was, mm. I was like eight, my parents sat me down and were like, well, it's mostly my mom doing the talking. And my sex conversation from what I remember was very much like a little boy's going to try to tell you he loves you to get in your pants. And you just need to say, you don't care because your parents love you. Like, we love you. I don't want the first time you to hear 
for you to hear I love you to be from some little boy who's trying to get some. Mm -hmm. They're going to try to manipulate you. They're going to try to say this, this, and that to get in your pants. Don't do it. So my very first sex conversation was people will try to weaponize sex. Don't do it. Also, wait until you're married. And that was it. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. I've got so many hangups around the sex conversation because I had a sex therapist actually make me realize like the very first conversation you had about sex was that. And then also the whole purity in the church movement, true love waits like that on top of the true love waits promise. So I know the reason my parents talked to me about it that way, because there's a whole lot of, you know, my mom experienced sexual assault, sexual trauma. Right. And so she's trying to ensure to her very best ability that that did not happen to me. And so there was a whole lot of parenting from, I'm going to make sure my kids don't go through the same traumas that I went through. And so there was sometimes some explanation of what that could have been. And sometimes it was just like, don't do this, do this instead, you know, like do it better than I did kind of vibe that a lot of it still sticks with, Mm -hmm. with me as into my adulthood. That sex talk is like the best way to describe this topic because Everyone has some type of story like that. And and I've only met maybe one or two people, two. I, yeah, I have two, four sure people in my head who had like a legit positive sex conversation with their parents. Wow. Uh, one I would classify as a hippie and it makes sense that they had a good conversation about sex with their parents because they, in every way, are a hippie. Locked <laughs> in their head, dirty clothes, you know how it goes. So I, I see them and I talk to them and I'm like, that makes sense. And then the other person was this African-American girl I went to college with. And it was really fascinating because it was opposite of what you just had. It was everything. Any questions she had, they were willing to answer and talk to her wow. about. That's and beautiful. I think about, for me, I grew up in a house with my mother as the number one parent for so long. And then Big John came around. But by the time Vic John came around, I was already in middle school. I'd already had like the fifth grade sex talk or the the anatomy talk that you get. And of course, my uncles were the ones who talked sex with me. And they were not like talking. They weren't talking like they were talking to a little kid. They were very open to talking about, you need to get you this, you need to do this. (laughs) They were very open to talking about it. But even then, I still got to the point where it was happening and I didn't know what the hell I was doing because no one told me anything for real. They might have made jokes and talked about when I was your age, boy, I was, you know, they'd done that. Mm-hmm. But no one was like, you know, this is where you're supposed to go when you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> this is what you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to do the foreplay. This, none of that. And I think about how I would want to do it. And it's, it's one of those things where even this conversation for my future kids sounds very nerve-wracking. I'm like, I don't know how, but I know that when it happens, I'm just going to talk like a normal person because I feel like that's the only way you can do it. You have to just Mm -hmm. talk to them like they're normal. Don't talk to them like they're your babies. Don't push it at them like, no, don't do it because that just wait till you're married thing. I've met so many people who actually wanted to wait till they were married. Mm -hmm. And I have one couple who did that I'm really close to. I was in their wedding. And I I actually got them to speak to me about that first night. And the girl didn't want to do it. She was like, no, no, not tonight. I I can't. And it was because all of her life she had been told, 
to wait till this moment. Don't. And don't, and don't, and don't, and don't, and don't. And then out of nowhere, that one moment happened where it's like, okay, there. you can do it now. And it's like, I don't think I'm ready. Or you should be swinging from chandeliers and all these things. Right. Like, go yeah. from, like, completely off to, like, all the way on and, like, know how to do that. And it's like, how? What? <laughs> like, and she she was very, she was religious, of course. So on top of being religious, you know, she was very much, a you know, a, a, a shield. Like, this is, yeah. I put this shield up. Even with the person I love the most, I'm not tempting myself. I'm not out here doing stuff that I'm not supposed to do. People act like sex is just regular sex and you could do everything else. And it's like, she was like, no, I can't do any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So to get to a place where she's physically and mentally forcing herself to block this part of her life off. And then one day you just open the cage and it's like, it's open. It's like, oh, I haven't talked to anyone about this. I, I, you know, up to that point, she had only watched porn. That's the only thing she had that would give her any type of information, which is a false reality within itself. Mm -hmm. So now you're seeing that your mother won't talk to you. Your father won't talk to you because they've been telling you all your life to wait till you're married. Now you're married. And if you go to them, they're like, well, you're married. You Mm -hmm. have to, it's your duty. Mm -hmm. It's your duty Mm -hmm. as a wife. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being something that she's looking forward to and excited about, now it's become a job Mm -hmm. that she's forced Mm -hmm. to do. He's upset or sad because he's thinking, oh, well, I'm going to get to finally do it my wedding night. But now we're not doing it because she's not ready. She's broken out into hives and, and sad wow. and scared. And wow. Wow, wow. She, I, re- I remember talking to them about this and I couldn't believe, one, I couldn't believe they told me all this. But the fact that they got to this place where she truly just was not comfortable having sex. And it was because for so long she was told that right there is the crucial moment where I I hope to God I can um, never let that happen to my kid. No one should feel like a prisoner to sex. Yeah. You know, no one should feel like they have to do anything and force. And it starts where this whole conversation starts with communication. Yeah. Period. Everything boils down to it. I will fight anyone when it comes to this in any type of relationship whatsoever. If communication is off, someone will be hurt. And this scenario is a prime example of that because it's one of the touchiest conversations that you can have with anyone. Yeah, I agree. That was Talking sex is like so inappropriate in so many circles. And to be able to really sit down and like casually, like I don't really know what to expect. Should I be working to make someone orgasm or like how, how do I enjoy this? Like, that's the kind of stuff that is very hard to even put into words to ask (laughs) your parent or anyone. And so you see that element of it, but then you move over to this lane of it where it's like, you know, I I grew up in St. Louis. People were dying left and right. How do you have that conversation about why are people that we know being shot at with a kid Mm -hmm. and actually talk to them about the things that's going on in the city? And I grew up in a house where my great-grandfather, his father was a police officer for St. Louis, a detective. So we were very much respect police in our household. And why is this happening in this neighborhood? Why are these people treating these people this way? That conversation always boiled down to, well, you know, when you're black, you got to make sure you do things a little different. And it was always started off that kind of way in my house. And then eventually it got to the point where, 
instead of talking about you don't want to have sex with some random person. It was you don't want to go to jail. So instead of it being like an actual healthy conversation, it was a scare tactic of jail is the worst place ever. You don't want to go there, period. No conversation about how the neighborhood these kids grew up in was different than the one I grew up in. No conversation about the people that were influencing them or talking to them were way different and had whole different lifestyles and upbringings. No conversation about the fact that the system that we're living in created barriers for the people in these communities. No conversation about anything that would truly help me truly understand the differences between me and them. So instead, don't go to jail and be like them makes me think that they were wrong in whatever happened. And they're the ones who put themselves in that own situation. And they're the ones who didn't learn properly or didn't do the right things. And they're the ones who are in the wrong period, point blank. And I grow up and I realize there are a lot of kids who just were in the wrong place, wrong time. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who, like you said, like I said earlier, were raised in an environment where this stuff was encouraged. Gang life was encouraged. Drugs were encouraged. Parents are saying, hey, we need money, so you need to do something to make money. They're underage, mm-hmm. and they don't have the ability to get a normal job. So they have to start doing this stuff to provide for their families because their parents grew up in an environment where this is normal, and this is what encouraged them to get to where they are. So now you have to jump on the family line and continue to work and do this. If you don't hear this stuff, if you don't understand this stuff, if you're not taught this stuff, if you don't see people, you become the people staring from the outside in saying, shame on them, shame on them, shame on them, Mm -hmm. instead of how can I help them? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get all of this different stuff because the lack of community within, like I said, I don't even think it's just black people. I think it's Every culture has this thing. If you talk to people from India, if you talk to people from Asia and anywhere, they'll tell you that their parents weren't able to talk or communicate about certain subjects. And it's really difficult to see because a lot of the problems in our world is just because people aren't communicating correctly. Yeah, that's powerful. And I totally agree. Got to respond to the fact that you said you grew up from into St. Louis. Should have known from the it's all oh, making yeah, sense right, now. Right. But I was going to tell you earlier, I was like, oh, you don't sound like a Southerner. Like, you sound, it's not quite Cali, but it's somewhere else. So, you know, I I've lived that, all but... over the world. <laughs> it's crazy. No, but that that's real. I that's, Thank you for sharing that story about your friends, because I feel, I mean, I didn't quite have her experience, but I feel seen. I can really relate to just, like, there's a switch that's supposed to turn on, but you know, you got to figure it out. Luckily for me, I, I started to choose to try to figure it out before I got married. Cause I, there was something in my mind was like, this, this actually won't happen well for you. If you just, when you get married, just think it's all, all of a sudden gonna, gonna happen. But there's just so much around. Yeah. Just having conversations about, even if you don't quite know what to say to your point, just like opening up the space for the dialogue to happen, I think could be really, really, really fruitful for so many of us or for everybody, quite honestly. I think it's more just about learning to seek first to understand. You know, we can always make a judgment on why somebody is who they are. But if you don't dig and find out people's origin story and figure out why, the why behind the what, you know, the what is the behavior. Yeah. But everything about my behavior is based on my why. 
right? And if we focus a lot of like what we do now and seeing the things uh, that are happening in our communities, it is like focusing on the what? We're focusing on, on you know, the branches, you know, and not the actual root. And the root is your why. Mm -hmm. When the branches are the what's, that is the fruit that we are seeing based on the why, based on my circumstance, based on how I was raised, what I've been through, what I've not been exposed to. And we can sit over here again from our, our purchase of privilege and thinking that everybody grew up and had the same life experience I had, had the same opportunities. And then why did they make these piss poor choices rather than really investigating their why? And trying to get into the work of helping to be a solution to changing, you know, that why and that initial circumstance. And if we're not willing to do that part of the work, then honestly, we got to shut up. What is the final goal for you? What are you pushing for? I feel like people ask me this all the time. And they're like, what's your goal with your podcast? And for me, it's really, it's very simple. I wanted to find a place where I could speak freely about things that I want to talk about. I want to promote myself in different ways. And I don't really enjoy living in a world where it's like, get on Instagram, put a picture up or put you singing and that that's it. Mm -hmm. So doing the podcast, you get to hear me talk. You get to hear how I think. You get to hear my music. You get to truly experience the full dom. It's not just music and you see this cool guy singing. It's not just conversations and you hear this emotional guy talking. You get to see everything and really get a full picture and I think that's the best way to market myself. So that's why I wanted to do the podcast. Mm -hmm. What what reasons did y'all develop to actually continue to do this? And what's the goal and the outlook that you want eventually to happen with this? And that's a really good question. I I don't even know that I have a solid answer. You know, some people, to your point, create their podcasts as more content, like content marketing for the thing that they're actually selling. I think for us... The conversations are the thing. I When we first started out, I was like, oh, it would be cool to see if we could get to 100 episodes, right? Which we're on our, our way to doing. Yeah. But now in uncovering, like in the process of doing this, it feels like it's about the body of work in general. It is about how and, and how many different ways can we have conversations like these? And how many different ways can we be bridge builders and community builders? And so mm -hmm. that is why we have offshoots or not offshoots, conversations in different formats, I'd say. Scott does a man-to-man -man quarterly where he's bringing men together to have conversations about what they're going through and their emotions and how to be a support for one another. Uh, we want to have a, a, another live conversation where we, it's called laying it all on the table, where we break bread with people and talk about I don't know, various things. So I think it is more about in how many different ways can we just have conversations, use our words, say the thing, and normalize all of these like really hazy things that we are going through to help people feel seen and, and connected and that they have belonging. I think is what I say. Um, <laughs> Would you add to that? <laughs> I mean, very much the same thought for me. And it is just like building community. Yeah. Being the change that we want to see in the world, mm -hmm. uh, not being folks who sit down and complain about, you know, what the world looks like when, you know, sometimes people do that because they don't see how they can impact and change from the level of where they are. And I think for us with the podcast and the work that we're doing outside of that, it is about building community. Mm -hmm. It is about being safe space and brave space yeah. for people to be able to have conversations, to be able to talk through to be able to know that they're not alone, to figure out how to then take that information and then go build that 
communities somewhere else where they are being the very thing that we see that the world needs. And I think the world really needs a place to be able to talk about the fact that we don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. We just out here doing the work. Right. And I think one of the things I resented the most coming up were like all of these self-help books, all of these people who are telling you like the guide on how you should be doing it. And I think one of the things that I always want us to be about is that giving people permission to have the conversation and figure it out between the key players. Mm-hmm. Like we're not out here telling anybody how to be married and black and, you know, how to have a successful relationship mm-hmm. based on our experience, right? It is, we're having the raw conversations and we are encouraged you to find out what will work for you and your relationship and then get about the business of doing that. Mm-hmm. This community is like promoting that just like talking, using your words, which the phrase that my wife loves to Listen. use the, the most, use, them, use your words. <laughs> and like you were saying, everything re- really comes down to communication yeah. Yeah. because if we're having these conversations, then we're having the conversation. Even if we're not having a conversation, if we're arguing, I'm having an argument with you because I want to be here. Yeah. Right. And if we can take that argument instead and turn it into a conversation before it becomes, you know, an argument, then we can navigate through and figure out how to stay in relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And at baseline, knowing that I want to be here, that's why we're having a conversation. Because for me, I'm I'm super, super chill. I'm also an asshole. Mm-hmm. So once <laughs> you don't have to agree so fast. <laughs> but once I've decided that I no longer want to be here, there's nothing else to talk about. So I just want to create spaces and we want to create spaces where people are interested in having the conversation, figuring out what the people that you want to be in relationship with need and communicating to them what you need in order for y'all to be in relationship together. So that's what's most important to us. And I think moving forward, that's what we want to do, whether it's those, you know, live conversations. We talked about writing a book some kind of journal, that kind of thing. Nothing that has like, this is what you should be doing, kind of outline and follow this by by the T, but even something where, you know, you're just understanding like, this is how we got here. This is a piece of information that you can add because that's why people read books. Yeah. You know, it is to like, I want this information. Wow, that just opened my eyes to something that I hadn't thought about. That's what we want these conversations to be. Yeah, something to reflect on and then mm-hmm. to apply to your own life in whatever way it works best for you. Yeah. yeah. I like that. That was good. We have made it to the end. I for sure appreciate the both of you doing this. This is so cool to get to meet new people doing this. This is a goal of mine, actually. I've been doing this interviewing thing for a while, and one of my goals is always I wanted to be like the next Arsenio Hall someday. Nice. And to get to a place where I'm doing this, I'm at about 52 episodes. The goal was to do one for each week for the year, and I'm almost there. Nice. But you're the first guest I've had on this show that I didn't know before I interviewed him. So it's nice. really encouraging because for some reason, I don't know, it's like in my head where I'm like, I met a lot of hosts in LA. I actually met Arsenio Hall in LA when I wow. lived there. And talking to them, questioning them, the one thing that came to head was the worst thing about doing talk shows is meeting someone you don't know that's uninteresting and they don't want to help. 
So they mm. get up there and they're talking and they're like, so what about this? And they give me like one word answers and they're like, well, this is the worst interview ever. So <laughs> <laughs> thank y'all for being great. Thank y'all for being open. Thank y'all for being honest. At the end of every episode, I do the same thing. We've spoken about everything we want to talk about. We've touched every topic. Once again, I appreciate y'all. All I have to ask at this point now is how do you feel? Shate, I'll start with you. You have really good questions, Dominique. How do I feel? I feel connected. I feel grateful for meeting, you know, someone like you and for the opportunity to have been here and, and to have the conversation that we've just had. And I feel energized, you know, like it's just these these types of experiences mm-hmm. are are really, really, I think, rich, kind of almost like God moments. So Yes. I feel like in can breathe. Conversations are always cathartic for me. Definitely a primer for my upcoming therapy session about 12 today. So I'm getting ready to make her earn her, her keep. Uh, but earn that definitely, right. Definitely a feeling of, you know, like meeting someone who's in the same space and, uh, you know, we're furthering this conversation mm-hmm. around and to know that you're, you're close by mm-hmm. that's cool too mm-hmm. so you can we can uh, put a face with a name mm-hmm. for real for real for be real. able to shake hands and chop it up and toss around some ideas and really this has been comfortable enough to to be that within itself so just excited about meeting you in person happy to be connected to you and the work that you're doing mm-hmm. uh, in this space and this feel dope and it's just what's up alright well cheers to y'all thank y'all so much there it is. Cheers to you. Cheers, though. Hey, turn up, turn up, turn up, turn up. Hey. Word. So y'all made it to the end of the uh, conversation, and I know it was a dope one. So yeah. holler at us. Real quick, what's next, Shadi? Music for the moment. Uh-huh. So thinking about our conversation with Dom. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like? What was your music for the moment? Tiana Taylor. Hold mm. on, hold on, don't let me go. Mm. Hold on, hold on. Hey. You better sing, fool. Issues. It's called Issues forward slash hold on. Yeah. And it's got, it's the, the sample is that um, GQ, I do love you. Mm. I do love you. Yeah. I love you, I love you. Oh my gosh, it's such a good song. What I love it is, you know, in the song she's talking about like fighting for the relationship. Yeah. But I like that she's getting to the root of it. Like in one part of the song, she's like, This is bigger than you and me. This is daddy mm-hmm. issues we're talking about here. Yeah. And so that's like the the crux of what we chatted about in this mm-hmm. conversation with Dom Lamore is like all of these these things are stuck places started somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so shout out to Tiana Taylor. Yeah, Dope song. For sure. So she don't, if you, she don't get all her props. She really well, doesn't. I love her. She's so talented and so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan. Love love her music. I, ha- I have been um, listening to, I always do on Spotify, like radio stations. And it's usually when I'm working, goes between like D'Angelo Radio or Slum Village Radio. Lately, I've been doing Snow Allegra Radio. Mm. To see if it would switch it up. And I know it's based on the algorithm of what I usually like, but Tiana Taylor always seeps into every yeah. single one of those My radios. God. And I just be like, yes, <laughs> love it. Anyways, we're going to add that to our music for the moment playlist. Yeah. Go ahead and follow us on Spotify. And with that, we made it this far. 
you must like us. You must be the homies, the right. super homies. You know what I mean? Oh, super homies. <laughs> that was so Cali. It was. And speaking of super homies, I want to shout out a listener on Spotify, y'all. I wish that the name was on here so they don't even have a legit profile. It's just like a number. It's a bunch of numbers. Mm-hmm. But the response to, I want to say, episode 70, maybe. Mm-hmm. And it says, I love hearing that I'm not alone. Thank you for processing out loud the difficulties. I turned this off three times and wow. came back three times as your difficulties resonate with my own and I needed time to process. That's what's up. Oh my gosh. If this is not why we do it, then yeah. I don't know what is. Yeah. Random person that we don't know. Thank you, Mr. or Mrs. 11466222241. Ah! <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening. And we're that was really a beautiful compliment. Yeah, yeah. But we feel blessed and count it like an honor that it helped you. It's exactly why we do it. Yeah. Oh, Lord. And um, for those of you who haven't left us any comments yet, hit us up. Yeah. Holla at your folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we invite you to like, rate, follow, subscribe, do all the things, share with your people. Uh, leave us a comment, slide in our DMs, mm-hmm. let us know what topics you want us to uh, check out and, you know, follow us on IG, like wherever mm-hmm. we are. Just we're happy to engage in conversation with yeah. you wherever you are. We'll meet you where you are, in fact. And like we always say, life will always present you with a haze, but we have everything that we need within us mm-hmm. to navigate through it. Yeah. And you're not alone. Uh, join us next time. And we're going to take this journey together, y'all. I peace.